Kane, and I say welcome to Wow, What a Show. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I absolutely am excited that we have gathered one more time to talk about our Savior and our Lord Jesus Christ. We are reading through the Gospel of John, and it has been a motivator to say the wonderful works of God through Jesus Christ in assembly together gathered. I welcome you all. Hello, Light Touch, Pastor Thomas. It's so good to have you both so um, faithful and so willing to join me. As I always begin, this is Wow, What a Show, and it is the outreach ministry of Rehoboth Institute of the Arts. We do have a podcast episode list that you can visit and um, hear many of the past conversations that we have, as well as the repeat of the live programs that we have presented over the last, I guess, three years since the pandemic hit. Um, before that time, we were pretty much simply an episode. You just would have to go to the episode list. But now, <clears throat> through the leading of the Holy Spirit, I do believe the live uh, podcast has been a good way to reach into the world in a different way. And I'm very excited about that. My name is Phyllis, and I am the host of the program. Uh, nonetheless, I also uh, often have co-hosts, which become the host, and and I kind of sit to the background, which I love to do. So in near future, hopefully, that will also occur again. It is a <clears throat> wonderful day. Psalm 19 tells us uh, that the heavens declare the glory of God, that the firmament shows forth his handiwork, that day unto day utter speech night unto night knowledge, and that there is no place where this speech is not heard. It's a wonderful psalm. And uh, if you have time or are interested further, do read it. I'm sure you will be as taken by those words there as I have been over the years. And here we are tonight. <clears throat> Please mute my phone. Pastor Thomas, okay, can I do that? You're not in the co-host seat, so I don't know that I can actually be the one to mute your phone. Um, I can try. <laughs> if I invite you as a speaker, you could be doing that. But right now, you have control over your phone, and so you will mute it if necessary. I am very pleased um, that you're here and that all things are well. Again, like touch you going and coming. I guess your connection is um, a little unstable. Anyway, we're going to move forward. We are in the 13th chapter of the Gospel of St. John, and I am the reader for this evening. I call upon anyone out there to read if you so desire. All you have to do is voice your desire to me through the... Um, podcast right here. You can list it there. Or you can, okay, uh, you can uh, simply email me at phyllis at org 
Phyllis, I'm writing it right now, at Rehoboth, R-E-H-O-B-O-T-H, Institute, I-N-S-T-I-T-U-T-E dot org. And uh, say, I'd like to join you to read. And I will say, but of course, I am more than happy to have you. Chapter 13, we begin with prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, every day is a declaration of your performance in the world. And Jesus Christ, our access, the one to whom, through whom we pray to gain this access, we now acknowledge as we read through this wonderful gospel, each gospel wonderful in its own way, powerful and uh, translating to us the powerful work of salvation that you have wrought through Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son. Lord, you know, it is a point that really, a truth that blows our minds, one that we really cannot explain. But we listen to your words and we wait for you by your Spirit to guide and lead us into all truth. And this is a truth. So we ask you tonight, Father, to continue to clarify in our own minds this amazing thing that you have done through Jesus Christ, the Son, the manifest God in the flesh, the Word made plain to us through demonstration and power of love. I ask you, Father, to guide my tongue, to open my eyes, that I may see also the wondrous things that are in your law, that each hearer, Lord God, will take from the words spoken, first from the word read, your word, and then from the response to that through my own person and their own person, that each of us, Lord God, will take the nuggets of gold there to continue to refine us and make us truly your own. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ for all those who join me, Lord God, to hear this very powerful message that you've left for us. Bless each one, guide and protect. Keep us, Father, in the way. I pray and thank you for it in the name of Jesus Christ. Welcome, welcome, all of you. I see Naomi Adafo, Adamfo has entered, and we welcome you, Naomi. And uh, we are in chapter 13, and we read now. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from power and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter said unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do, 
thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter said unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith to him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore he said, Ye are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scriptures may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it come, that when it is come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that receiveth whomsoever I send receives me, and he that receives me receiveth him that sent me. When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. Now, therefore, was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter, therefore, beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of him whom he spoke. He then, lying on Jesus' breast, saith unto him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest, do quickly. Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. For some of them thought, because Judas had the bag, that Jesus had said unto him, By those things we have need of against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. He then, having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was night. Therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself, and shall straightway glorify him. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You shall seek me. And as I said unto the Jews, 
whither I go, ye cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? Jesus answered him, Whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Peter said unto him, Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, The cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. And this is the powerful reading, well, not powerful in terms of me, the words, the reading of God's word, an amazing uh, um, accounting of this event that took place just prior to the final passion of our Lord, the false accusation that shall come, the betrayal uh, by Judas, the accusations the scourging, the, the troubling, and finally the cross. It is amazing. The escape of his disciples, none to stand there with him as he goes through this very cruel reckoning, but all for the glory of God. And as we heard, he says, glorify me. And it is written, I have glorified you. And he says he will glorify him and in himself he shall glorify him, God being the one who is doing the glorifying. It's amazing, right? Because everything in this chapter bespeaks the purpose for which Jesus Christ has come. It begins with Jesus um, and the, the disciples gathering for this meal. This is either on Passover, or it is the pre-Passover meal. Now, when I read that, I'm thinking, if it's the pre-Passover meal, then it is on Passover that Jesus Christ now is entered into this horrific suffering, the betrayal and all that comes. It would be on Passover day. And there is a discussion amongst those scholars who will ever know. We um, uh, trust the Bible, and however you read it, you read it, you know, and however I read it, we read it. But in the Western world, we take it to mean, according to, you know, those who have come before us, that it is the day of the Passover. That meal that they share together. Seems like, though, it would answer whether or not there were three nights and three days in, in the grave if it were the pre-Passover meal. However, I do not know. And really and truly, I uh, I do care but it is not that relevant in terms of the work that Christ really did for us there. What is, however, noteworthy is the fact that Jesus Christ um, sits there with these, his disciples, his very good friends, just prior to all that is going to take place. And he, they're in, they're in a reclining position. They are at rest. They are in a a relationship, and so their their position 
is one that kind of speaks to that for me, like they're reclining. And we don't often eat reclining. In fact, I don't think I could eat reclining because my, my digestion is not that good. But here they are lying about. We do kind of lounge around to eat. So that's kind of the setting. They're at, the, you know, they're kind of lounging around and they're enjoying their company. And I can imagine also that because their work was so intense, when they had these moments when they were actually together and uh, partaking of things common like a meal, they would really be in a place of joy and enjoying each other and at, you know, just very relaxed. Because if you have ever done the work of the Lord, the, the work itself is very intense. You're out there and you're very focused spiritually. But when you come back, there is a great relief and release of all the tensions of that day or moment. And you now talk about it usually, you know, with great joy or you go to sleep because you're so very exhausted. So that's the setting here, right? And they've had the meal. Jesus Christ then arises he takes the towel that he has girded around himself. In other words, he's already prepared to do what he's getting ready to do. And he pours water into a basin and he begins to wash their feet. In our last meeting, I remember saying to you that my husband washed my feet before we were married, that that is kind of the moment in time when I knew that this man was very different than any other man or a young man that I had uh, had the wonderful <laughs> occasion to meet, including my daddy and my, and my brothers. I had six of them, right? And a father who were very kind, my brothers would do anything, I believe, for me, for my safety, etc., and my father. But nobody in my life had ever washed my feet like that. My dad was the kind of man who would have, my oldest brother, my brothers would have done it, right, had it been a necessary task. But it was not a part of our culture to do so. My husband is from a culture the Eastern culture where just, you know, Jerusalem is, is Eastern that way, and, I mean, Israel. And so the custom, according to my husband telling me, though, um, was for any visitor to your house um, to have his feet it was washed. It's welcoming hospitality. And if you went into a house, even the wife of the host would do it. It's a way to say welcome, and we are very glad you're here. And so Jesus Christ now is doing this as if that's what has happened. Of course, they were wearing open sandals and walking dusty roads, etc. And so the feet, your you know, feet would get right dusty and dirty. And I think that the the, the feet, those feet there, are are the washing of them is a, a kind of a metaphor of the fact that there is a welcoming moment. I think that's what Jesus Christ is doing. He's welcoming them into something that he has already established, right? And they don't understand it. Even though it's their culture, they know that people will wash your feet because it's the culture in which they live. But now the master in the house already with them, he didn't receive them into his home. They were together there, right? They came in together. And Jesus Christ is washing their feet. 
So we can kind of understand the reaction that Peter has. Lord, will you wash my feet? In other words, Peter probably is thinking, I should be washing your feet if there's going to be a foot washing tonight, right? But Jesus Christ says, uh, yes, that he is going to wash his feet. And he says, what I am now doing, you don't understand, but you will know hereafter. And Peter says, oh, Lord, no, you will never wash my feet. I'm reading now down in verse 8. And uh, Peter, uh, Jesus Christ says, but if I do not wash your feet, you have no part with me. That to me is a very poignant statement. And I'm not sure that the Holy Spirit has totally revealed it to me yet. But I'm right now on the surface, very, you know, scratching the surface a bit. I believe he's saying to Peter, if I do not now wash your feet as this uh, cultural thing expresses a welcoming into and a clearing of the dust. I'm, I'm taking the dust of the journey off. I'm giving you sort of a refreshing. If I don't do this, then I don't do anything else. You have no part with me. You are not in my home. You have not yet entered into the resting place that we call now the kingdom. Now, this is Phyllis speaking. I read commentaries, right? But sometimes, even having read them and taken notes on what other people say, I depend on the Holy Spirit to talk to me, as I am depending on him also to speak through and to you. Read God's word prayerfully and respectfully and respect those who have studied. But ultimately, I believe that God speaks to us individually. And that, for a very good reason, he is taking us all somewhere. Now, the interpretation is not one to be private. I don't take my what he says to me and build another denomination on it. No, I couple it in with all that has been given prior. And it becomes a part of what we understand. God is doing something cultural there. He is responding in the culture. And that moment for each of those disciples, I believe, was very personal and very spiritual. When Tad washed my feet, something in me was very different thereafter. I saw him as one who could be humbled, even to a woman. I'm the woman. He is the man, right? And I saw him as one who knew me. He recognized that I had been on a very long journey, that I was tired, and that there was for, from him a uh, reach to give me a refreshing and it really did refresh me. Thank you, Jesus, for those of us who humble ourselves like unto Jesus Christ to serve another. I remember also saying to you, to us, and you know, I learned this as well, that the Bible will give you the universal, the unified, the unifying uh, translation, interpretation of itself. So Jesus Christ goes on to tell Peter that if if I don't do this, you know, you don't really have any part in me. 
Peter says, oh, for that, <laughs> wash me, wash my head, wash my hands, just wash me. Because what Peter does not want is to not be identified with Christ in that way. He has learned to love and respect this person as the head of what he is doing, this movement. It is for us, of course, the church. So he says to Peter in response, he that is washed needs not save to wash his feet, but is already clean. He is clean and you are clean, but not all. See, he knew exactly who he had called. So he said, you are clean, Peter. The rest of you are clean, except there is one who is not. Not all are clean here, right? But you are clean. And if you are already clean, you have only that I wash your feet. Only that I wash your feet. That's all I have to do right now. Wash your feet. And I'm sure the refreshing of God comes several times in the journey and that Jesus Christ is washing the dust off of the weary, tired feet of those who do his will, who perform his good pleasure. And we, in fellowship with him, are surrounded with the fellowship of others because he goes on to explain that if I do it, being your master, and I am rightly so your master, I, that is who I am. But if I do it for you, then you're not greater than the master. So you ought also to do it for one another. How beautiful is that? You know, uh, so I read a little bit on the commentary and they were all there. Nobody had ventured to wash anybody's feet. They certainly hadn't turned around to wash Jesus' feet, right? And he is the master whom they all say they recognize as such. And yet they had not done it. And you have to wonder why. Because now, according to my husband in, in the country from which he comes, it's the children. The children will do this foot washing for visitors, right? And so those disciples were not children. And they were walking with a very powerful, powerful person. Powerful. They were recognizing him, Peter had already, as the son of the living God. He was called Rabboni. He was master, teacher, trainer. He was, in their eyes, this person sent from God to do a particular thing. Though the thing that he was going to do wasn't exactly all the time what they had in their minds. They knew he was very special, and yet they had not washed his feet. But he now showing them. Uh, remember also when uh, in, in this uh, this account is given in the in the Gospel of Luke, at which point they had a discussion, according to Luke's Gospel about who would be greater in the kingdom. So they got this thing on their minds, like I'm really not a child. I'm really not the servant of us all here to get down and wash everybody's feet. But Jesus says, he who is great amongst you, let him be the servant of all. In the churches, you know, we got this hierarchy and we have people who are uh, are exalted above the average uh, person. and. 
in terms of the work that they do and there's you know their positioning um in the church they have a special place for sure however that place draws them into servanthood they come into service and though they use the words a lot you probably won't find them washing anybody's feet you might not even find them feeding the poor and the hungry or counseling the deranged and the needy. You might not find that, even though they have proposed to be um, the, the greater amongst them. So Jesus Christ is setting forth for us the example of his disciples, those who will carry this wonderful gospel and be the uh, foundation layers for the church itself. And so how often, I wonder, do we consider this? Well, I think I'm considering it so very closely as I am questing for this look, this thing, these what really I should see in a church, what really fellowship is in the church of Jesus Christ. And I have met many a missionary. I've met many people who work in the service of the kingdom of God, and they are indeed servants. They really do function as the lowly amongst us. And yet in their understanding and their relationship with God, in my, in my relationship with them, I esteem them as those people who God has set to be above me. I esteem them greatly, but it is because spiritually I discern them. It isn't because they themselves are sitting in a higher place. And I'm grateful that the Lord has let me see that because now I know that the church itself is not contained solely in gatherings in buildings, but rather the people who are the servants of Christ do indeed walk the streets and receive others into their own space called home. So this is, a, to me, a very powerful and important uh, point made in this particular chapter. Jesus Christ also, uh, and I have some things laid out here that I'm so bad at reading my own notes. Um, something else that comes to mind as I read this is from Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7. And it reads, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of them that bring good tidings, that publish peace. And it goes on. I, didn't, I don't have it. To, let's see, 22, 23. Chapter 22, verse uh, 23, is it 23? No, 7. I'm sorry, verse 7. It says, um, oh, I'm in the wrong, I'm sorry, guys, I'm, I'm about to read from the wrong uh, chapter. But anyway, that, that scripture does come to, to, to me because those who are labor in the kingdom are those who carry this message. Those who for no 
uh, renown or for no one to call their names or to think of them in great places and great ways. These people are referred to as those with the beautiful feet, right? And so for whatever reason, that just really popped out in my mind. And who would not be willing to wash the feet of those who do such things as are done for the kingdom of God. They really are the people that are highly placed and highly esteemed. And I wonder, are we willing ourselves to be that figure in the world to represent Christ with humility and to be willing to do the baser parts, the baser task of carrying the gospel. I think that it is written uh, in one of the epistles that the uh, comely, uh, the feet are the comely parts. You know, the the body of Christ is, uh, it has, so to speak, the members like the body and the feet are the comely parts. But how many people are willing to be the feet? I consider the feet those who, you know, are dragged around and in strange places. Like when we go on, on, um, I used to go to retreats and people go to, to, to retreats so they live in a lavish hotel <laughs> and uh, eat great food. And, uh, you know, many times that's where the retreats are. But there was once when a lady who, who had a phenomenal retreat called one for fasting a fasting retreat. I couldn't go. I think I wasn't here to go. I think I moved. But I wanted to go on that retreat to fast, to pray, to get nearer, closer to the Lord, to live in a cabin and not have the comforts that are presented in a lavish hotel or to go. I love to go to that place because the food is so amazing. That's what I've heard, you know. And yet, um, when we go on retreat, sometimes I, I don't even think of eating because the power of the Spirit is there and we go to do something different, something not uh, temporal, but something eternal, something spiritual. So that's the picture here that we see in Jesus Christ washing their feet. And then Jesus goes on to say, uh, you call me master and our Lord and you are well for so I am. But if I then your Lord and master have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his master, than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, you are happy if you do them. Now, that's also very interesting. And I can only tell you, you know, I'm not a missionary like that. I, I've done a few missionary-like journeys, and uh, but I sat with people who are who've given their lives to this missionary work. And I can tell you that these are happy people they sit and laugh so freely and talk of the goodness of God in ways that I rarely meet otherwise. They are 
joyful people. The ones that I've been around, I haven't been around them all. And I have read accounts of those who suffered greatly for the kingdom of God. Um, Corey Ten Boone's whole family almost killed as they were not themselves Jews, but they were hiding Jews to keep them from being killed. Christian people, right? And then the account of people who are persecuted in other lands and who stand and go through tremendous torturous uh, ways of the enemy. They come out on the other side and they tell the story joyfully. Oh, it's something else. You know, we are very uh, protected. It, you know, like, I, I don't even know if it's called protection. We are just very reluctant to dirty our feet, to get out in the street. I think I like to tell when I was uh, doing outreach in a in a very depressed area, and uh, so uh, you know, calling on the the churches to join. And one one summer on a particular day, uh, this one church would do this big tent meeting and outreach, right, and. Um, Members of, of a church that I attended, well, they wanted to come out and they would want to do it too. Well, we were meeting in a field, an abandoned field, where uh, lots and lots of people who were afflicted with drug addiction, alcoholism, you know, HIV, all the, that's where they kind of roamed. And I'll never forget the, the women and some of the men. I didn't pay as much attention to the men as I did the ladies because I was meeting them and they came out with their toenails all wonderful glittering and they were in very cute little sandals and very nice clothes to walk across this very, uh, you know, uneven terrain and even dusty and dirty. And they were saying, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. So I said, well, where did you think you were going? <laughs> It was funny, right? Because not, you know, it's okay. Whatever they do, they do. And they learned from that day. But it was a telltale of their experience with getting their feet dirty, right? They they didn't expect to get their feet dirty. They did not expect to have to be in those dusty uh little, you know, uneven places where, you know, sometimes you walk in because the, the, the ground is so uneven, you'll turn your, your, your ankle almost, right? So it is a, a question, how willing are we to go there and to be those uh, whose feet are washed by Jesus Christ because they are dirty. Your feet are actually, you know, dirty. You've actually done something there in the way of work. So enough. Now he says, I tell you before it come that when all is come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Okay, so he does, I'm sorry, I skipped a little bit. He says um, that you shall be known by your love. That's another point I just really want to make. I don't know quite where I am in the scripture here, but he says, you should do as I've done to you because you're not greater, right? And if you know these things, you're happy. If I speak not to all of you, I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He that eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. That is actually in the Psalm, uh, Psalm 41. It's verse nine. This is a, a uh, fulfillment of that prophecy. And he says, and now I tell you before it come, Jesus Christ says that when it has come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that 
receiveth whomsoever I send receives me, and he that receives me receives him that sent me. We covered that in another discussion, and that's amazing. If you are sent and people receive you, they receive God because God sends you. And you know, we shouldn't get really um, lost in um, the, you know, how many people uh, you, you gather because you have been sent. We shouldn't get kind of lost in the uh, hyper, uh, I guess, you know, the, the hype of being sent. We should just go. If you're sent, just go, right? And let God do whatever he sent you there to do. You do it. He does the rest. Remember, we water some water, uh, some plants, some water, but only God gives an increase. Only God can actually save a person. All we can do is obey him and do what he told us to do. And I got to tell you, I'm really glad about this. You know, when you, you're a performer and you go into certain, certain places and you might have a really big audience. And then some places you go and you just have a little audience. But if you go ahead and do what you went to do, whoever is there will receive whatever they have and be pleased and blessed by sharing in what you do. We have to continue to see ourselves as those who give and other people receive. It isn't that I am the star of the show. You know, the, the Western, the way we think sometimes in the Western part of the world um, is is just, it's a conundrum. You kind of frown and say, huh, what? Yeah, okay, because I'm here doesn't mean that I'm better than you because actually you paid the ticket to come in to see what I'm doing, which is a supply to my own life. If you had no interest in what I'm doing, what I'm doing would just be by the by or, you know, just nothing, right? So we kind of get it all confused here. Who is the greater in this relationship? He who serves, of course. And if I buy your ticket, then I'm really serving. I'm, I'm doing the giving, right? You're simply sharing out of what God has given you to share. So he says, he that receiveth me, whomsoever I send, receives me. So Jesus is extending that. He's sent by God. And these guys have received him. These disciples received him, and but they're receiving God. And now he says, I'm sending you. And if you go, whoever receives you also receives me. And they receive him that sent me, God, right? So it's a, uh, you backstep to God and you draw down from God. And we go with that understanding. So when Jesus had thus said, he was troubled and said, some one of you will betray me. And surely one of them did. And now he says, you know, this is, um, the disciples want to know, well, who's going to do this, right? And of course he's told them, uh, to whom I give the sop. Then he gives the sop, and then he says, "What you do, do quickly." And I'm, I was wondering, are they dull of mind, or if I had been there, would I have picked up on what Jesus said? Because they didn't seem to kind of really get it. 
when uh, Judas went out and Jesus said, he's, you know, he says, what you do, do quickly. And then he goes and they're still like not knowing what's happening here. But Jesus then tells them that his hour has come and he is now glorified. In other words, the thing that is come to pass now has come to pass. And we are seeing the unfolding, but for God, the, the whole deal is now done. Jesus says, the Son of Man now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself and shall straightway, right away, he's going to do it immediately, glorify him. So he says to them, now he calls them little children, yet a little while I am with you, you shall seek me. And as I said, unto the Jews, where I go, you cannot come, not now. And a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Listen, preach it from the housetops. Because loving another human being, I used to think it was really easy. It is not easy. Especially if that person is not sold out to Christ. But he is talking about those who he has called and washed and sanctified and taught and trained. Put before you, as I try to put before me, that one commandment. Love one another as Christ has loved you, me. Try to keep it there, right? And then whatever befalls, whatever comes, love will guide your heart and mind. God is love. And of course, by his spirit, you are being guided. And so don't allow the um, flesh of 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 yourself or myself. Try not to allow that to enter. Keep on rebuking, rebu rebuking it. Keep on refusing to let that come because Jesus Christ said in the gospel, take up your cross and follow me. Truly a part of that cross are those things within me that would absolutely themselves destroy me, save I had the power of the Spirit to be transformed, the power of the Spirit to be delivered. Put every negative that is contrary to love itself on the cross. Put it under your feet. And guess what? We know that true love has been exemplified in the walk of Jesus Christ on this world, in this world. We see love in action. So how close to that are you and how close to that am I? How near is it? Will you abandon the, the, the constancy of the work needed to create love when it requires you to um, become the sacrifice? When will you actually be able to humble yourself to go deeply enough to allow God to use you in such a way as to be crucified and to walk in the love 
so that the world will know. Because I'm going to tell you, 